Hey guys, this is Pete. Before we start the show, I just wanted to give a quick shameless plug for my debut novel entitled Frankenstein, A Life Beyond. It's the first direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic and follows Ernest Frankenstein, the sole survivor of the original book. Like mystery, adventure, romance, horror, and this is the ebook for you. Check it out today on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and my website, EnceladusLiterary.com. That's E-N-C-E-L-A-D-U-S Literary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. So what are you, man or Superman? I haven't figured it out yet. With your host, Pete. How did I become so uptight and nerdy? And Greg. I am the villain of the story. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. I ask you to remember one thing. Your abilities may be of my blood, but it is your time in Smallville with Jonathan and Martha Kent and all the people there that made you a hero, Colin. And yes, as you heard in the intro, we are now in the world of television. Thank God we're back to television. Oh, that's right. We were in television <laughs> once before. Twice. Yeah, Quantum Leap. Anyway. And Indiana Jones was a television show, sort of. Eh, true. And there was a Star Wars television show, the Christmas special. The, oh, I was thinking of the Ewoks. I was did thinking. You, did you ever see those Ewok specials? I did, unfortunately. Oh, dear God. <laughs> but nothing beats Life Day on the holiday special. <laughs> oh, well, that is in a league of its own. That's true. <laughs> but we're not here for Star Wars. We're not here for nope, Quantum nope. Leap. Nope. We're moved on. We're here because it's the 75th anniversary of Superman. And so what are we going to do? We're going to talk about an iteration of Superman that ended two years ago. Of course, because we're hindsighting ourselves. So Thank you. <laughs> we are going to talk about the show that ran from 2001 to 2011, Smallville, on the WB, which then turned into the CW as the networks folded in amongst themselves into a black hole of nothingness and <laughs> spit out the other side of... We have no shows that anybody watches consistently except for Smallville, so let's keep it on for 10 years. Ten, Ten years. years. <laughs> so that I'm gonna bury the lead right there with with my my interest in keeping a show on the air for ten years. That's unnecessary. All right. Well, I think it's important to establish up front here too. You are the Superman fan. I enjoy Superman. I know him mostly through different movies or even. You know, little WB cartoon movies that get released onto Netflix and things like that. But I have not read the comic. Um, so you're much more the grounded in the Superman lore than I am. I'm the I'm kind of the newbie. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not ingrained with Superman lore to the nth degree of knowing every story and every comic book ever. I read a few comic books when I was a kid. I'd say if I had a list of actual comic books that I read 
in my lifetime. I've probably read more Superman than anything with a few Batman and a couple of Flash episodes and or issues, and that was it. But yes, I in the multimedia world, I'm a huge Superman fan. That was growing up, if everybody had Star Wars as they're growing up in our generation or Whatever else it was that kids had, mine was Superman. Superman and Superman 2, the Christopher Reeve, those were the impactful films of my ultra youth of that generation. So, yes, I'm definitely the fan coming in, which means that when I heard Smallville was being made, I absolutely was in wholeheartedly. It's another iteration of Superman. Hopefully it was not as cheesy as Lois and Clark, which I did like in the (laughs) 90s. as long as it wasn't Superman 3 or 4 or Supergirl, <laughs> then we're all right. But it, it was something I was in for. And the interesting story was that the WB network was fledgling. And when they decided originally to put on DC comic shows, uh, it was right after Batman and Robin had tanked the entire franchise and pretty much all the DC comic books in general just went down the toilet with it as well. Mm. One of the ideas to resurrect their stories was on their own network, the WB. And so these creators, Alfred Guff and Miles Millar, came to the network and said, we want to do a show called Wayne. I think that's what it was called. And it was the story of young Bruce Wayne traveling the world. And meeting all sorts of people and putting little comic book notions in here and there. And the idea was that they would run the show up until the point where he puts on a cape and cowl and becomes the Batman. We eventually got that in Batman Begins, the movie. And Warner Brothers sort of kind of knew this in 2000, that they still wanted to reboot Batman. So they said, nope, we're going to put a kibosh to that. No TV for Batman. So the next best thing that Guff and Millar did was, what about Superman? Okay. And then they came up with the idea for Smallville, which is the same general theory. It's Superman before he's Superman, with the final show being he's now Superman. And now oh, we were in the age of the prequel. Yes, right at that point. <laughs> so I was all in, and I watched every episode religiously for ten years of my <laughs> life you, you sound like you're at an aa meeting <laughs> <laughs> yes yes for 10 years uh-huh i'm trying to detox on it a little bit but i watched every episode and that's where we come to you and your knowledge of smallville because okay, you didn't watch every episode uh no i tuned in for the pilot and I think, quite honestly, I started laughing within the first five minutes of it. <laughs> uh, I think that's it, it. Doesn't it open with like a uh, meteor just, shower or something? Yeah, like but that? you just laughed at one image, and that you couldn't get over the one <laughs> image. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was part of it. Yes, the image of I believe it was Lana Lang's parents just standing there, like it was the nicest, sunniest day. Nothing was going on, waving to their daughter across the street, and then the next shot is them getting flattened by a meteorite. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for these pilot creators because I've seen it more than once, and I'm gonna defend. I just them saw it the bit. one time. I just saw I'm it gonna one. defend them just a little bit. 
in that episode, if I'm not mistaken, and I'll have to rewatch it again to verify, but I think that Lana's parents die from the first meteor that strikes. Oh, is it? So it's not like they've been coming down and coming down, and then suddenly they're there and waving and not paying any attention. I think okay, it's been what. 12, 13 yeah. years since I saw that. So, so I'm going to defend him on that. Okay. All right. That's I fair. I think that was the first meteor to hit. And okay. then all hell broke loose. But uh, but I did it. I did watch. I watched the pilot. And I watched, I believe, I don't know, probably five or six episodes after that. I liked his parents. I liked, uh, oh, gosh. I'm, why am I blanking on the name of the lead actor? Who Tom was Clark Kent? Tom Thank Wall. you. Thank you. Yes. Um, I liked him fine. I didn't like the villain of the week, the super villain of the week setup that they had going in that first season. That got kind of tiresome fast. Well, um, I think was, I think the, the episode they, they could only get it moving. You know, the only way they could think to do a twenty-two, twenty-four episode per season was to have something like that. Well, and I to be fair, I'll, I'll put out my nerd flag here. In the first season of the original Star Trek series, they had a lot of early episodes with, hey, it's a mad doctor in space. They kept running <laughs> into these mad doctors in space. So who knows? If I was alive to be watching that show back when it originally aired, I might have had the same problem with it. Um, because where do mad doctors go? they got to be in space they and you got to go visit that planet where they are. I know. <laughs> But, yeah, I think it was the episode where the uh, dad from the Wonder Years was, like, the football coach and, uh, like, could uh, – did he have something to do with fire or he something just like that? Yeah, he just could mentally set someone on fire. Yeah, he had a, yeah. he had a uh, uh, fire starter thing. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, so the, the whole villain of the week thing was kind of a turnoff for me. And I know I already referenced the character once, but – and again, I'm not being fair. I'm sure she's a very nice person, but the portrayal, I don't know if I was just, dear God, am I going to praise something from Superman 3? I don't know if it's like the portrayal of I had a different picture in my head of the way the Lana Lang character should act or whether or not the actress just was not good. Um, but she really grated on my nerves. And since she was supposed to be kind of the central love interest at that point and kind of a key element in the show and everything, that was kind of a big turnoff. Because um, every time she, she every time she appeared on screen, yeah, every time she appeared on screen, it was like, oh god, please stop talking. They only played out the will they won't they for six more years. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I got so far into the initial first season. Every now and again, I would just catch kind of a random episode. It's like I saw a couple of uh, episodes where they were many seasons ahead when they were dealing with the whole Phantom Zone uh, storyline. And I think that's when Supergirl was a thing on the show. Uh, I did see the finale, so I know how the show ended. But obviously, lots of gaps along the way. I know that there was a change at... You know, a certain point with new producers coming in and taking the show in a little bit different track. I know that there were lots of attempts to introduce other DC characters that for licensing purposes or reasons or because of what they wanted to do with the film franchises didn't work out. Um, I know that the cast really grew. Um, I think we had a pretty strong Lois Lane in this particular series. 
Do you agree with that statement? <laughs> I would. I'm just letting you roll. Okay. All right. I, I think there definitely were good things to take away from the series. And I, th- I think overall the series got stronger as it went along. It kind of got away from the villain of the week thing. You had some definite character arcs going on. I think the what they were trying to do with the Lex Luthor character and his father was interesting. Um, so I think there were definitely some positive things for it. I probably just checked out. I was probably just at a point in my life where I checked out sooner than I could have or should have. I, you know, have likely missed something not going back to it. Uh, so who knows? Maybe in the course of talking about this, it will inspire me to go seek out the show. He's shaking his head no. (laughs) (laughs) This is a show that... You have to be a Superman nerd of the nth degree to hang in there and say every episode I'm going to watch because I love it. It gets painful at some points. And I'll put define, this. Define painful for the general audience here, me being the right, general well, audience. Well, I'll put it back in a general statement that you and I have talked about on many occasions. And that's where my hindsight is going to come from on this particular episode is – The idea that we talked about in Quantum Leap of television presentation, television shows and the way they're produced and made now versus the way it used to be. And I just listened to a podcast with Vince Gilligan, who's the creator of Breaking Bad, and he had a very good statement that's now sticking with me, and I'm going to steal it. He talked about how when he worked on the X-Files, there was a thing in TV where the story had to be in this kind of a stasis where when you're telling a story, you've got to fill 22 or 24 episodes in a season. So you are expected to have your characters pretty much stay in the same spot that they are solving that week's problem and moving on to the next. And he gave a very fine example of an episode in which Mulder shot, killed somebody in his apartment, shot him dead. And the next week, there wasn't a mention of it. His apartment was fine. He just went home. Nobody talked about it, and they moved on. And Boulder killed a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, if in the real world, there'd be police tape up. He wouldn't be allowed to live in his apartment for a month. He'd probably go to prison for a while. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have some kind of review or something like that by the FBI of him discharging his weapon. Yeah, some something counseling for dealing with what he had done, his actions, something. Or the key word, consequences. There are consequences to actions of the characters in modern day television that wasn't there back in the day of, use our example from before. If you listen to the episode, earlier Quantum Leaps, Sam just went from place to place and did stuff and occasionally they'd have a two-parter episode where stuff that happened in the last episode, because we can't imagine that you'd remember something from a month ago, but you might remember something you saw a week ago. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm going to back you up and correct you. A very special oh. two-part episode. Yes, of course. The <laughs> vernacular of 1980s and 90s television is, is a very special episode of Friends. If, and it's if you're going to draw them in, <laughs> you got to use very special. But where I come down is that Smallville is part of that bridge that goes from the old style to the modern style. The old style is we have 22 episodes that have to be filled this season. So you have to fill it. So even though you have a story that might be finite in nature that may, say, take five years to tell, 
you got to stretch it out and you got to put filler episodes in because you have to fill that time slot. So instead of servicing the story, they're servicing the network. That's what Smallville fell into is because it had a good story that it could tell beautifully on AMC's model right now where it's 13 episodes for five seasons. Perfect. Not 22 episodes for 10 seasons because it just went well, on if too it, long. If it was the flagship show carrying an entire network, yeah, you're going to want to milk that puppy for all it's worth. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with the Lana character is that Lana Lang, the actress had her moments, but yeah, there was most of the time Kristen Kruk was a, just an annoyance more than anything. Very good looking, but very good annoyance as well. Oh yeah, she's good looking. I just, the acting is what <laughs> I just, just couldn't hang with. <laughs> it just wasn't there. No. And there were just, as another podcast said about this show, there were very good little Superman nuggets within the first four or five seasons that you would just be pulled into like, Oh wait, there's something there. Oh my God. And it's almost like a roller coaster. There's a four episodes of, okay, this has got to be leading somewhere. And then as you climb the hill, you get to this fifth episode where it's like, Oh my God, it's all sorts of stuff about Superman. This is incredible. And then you don't realize you're on a slide down for the next five episodes. As you keep watching, thinking there's going to be more Superman stuff coming in. And as you take that back nine of episodes off the roller coaster and you realize all of a sudden you're 18, 19 episodes into a season and you had two or three really cool Superman nuggets and suddenly it's all gone and you realize you watched a whole bunch of filler. And they're, I'd say they were hampered by two main problems. They had to stretch out this long-ass story that didn't need to be stretched out this much of who can Clark tell his secret to and how many times can he get away with lying about his secret and someone believing him. Mm. And it, that was just ingrained in the show, and it was painful to watch most times because it was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> no one would believe this. <laughs> This is just goddamn ridiculous. People should just know. And the other one was stretching out the Lex Luthor Clark relationship, where, you know, Lex, does he know? Does he not know? How bad is he? You look at it in hindsight, which is what we're doing. Ba-ding. And the overall Lex Luthor story was very well done in the show as a whole, showing him go from good to bad, what they did. It just didn't need to take nearly as long as they did. Now, which season did he check out? Like season seven? He left, I believe it was the finale of season seven is when he, Michael Rosenbaum, wanted off the show. So he confronted Clark and brought down the Fortress of Solitude and took himself with it, only to come back as a clown later on. Attack of a clown? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's kind of funny. Some of the criticism you were lobbing at the show about there being, like, way too much filler and uh, you getting nuggets of answers or things that you really wanted to see. I I couldn't help because you brought it up. I'm going, wow, that's exactly how I felt about the frickin' (laughs) X-Files. Because I watched that show, and for a while, yeah, it was really good. It opened up some interesting possibilities. We had some, you know, decent episodes in there and everything. And then the filler started. 
And by the end, I think the whole thing was nothing but filler. But uh, so at least you seem to have had a show that finished strong. But see, that's the I think that's a difference. Now I never watch X Files. I think I saw ten minutes of that show in my entire life. Mm. But from what you're saying there, the comparisons fall apart a little bit because the X Files put forth some questions in its pilot episode, and then it was just a failure to to answer any of those yeah, in a satisfactory way. Yeah, pay Whereas off the questions. Smallville was boxed into a corner from the get-go because they had an end point to get to. They, had, right, they now, had a finish line in place before they started. Sure. And so it was just a matter of how well do you tell that story, and they didn't because they had to just stretch it because it wasn't a story meant to be 10 years of 22 episodes. It should have right. been – Five years of thirteen episodes, or something. All right, I'll I'll try to walk through the scant knowledge that I have. So here, <laughs> fill in the gaps. All right. All right. So the first four seasons, we're basically doing the Harry Potter thing, and Clark's in school. He's in high school. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then he graduates, and he goes off to space school with Jarrell. Not really. No. All right. Start. <laughs> start filling it in. What's the basics? Okay. All right, we'll see if I can summarize this damn thing. Okay. All right. Again, you don't have to hit everything, just the big picture. What All right, big What pic- happened after he gets out of Smallville? Because he does is, leave Smallville. Yeah, the big picture is the first four seasons are in high school, and they were really hamstrung by this whole freak of the week thing. Let's have somebody different who's affected by kryptonite for some crazy reason or something or another, and let's have him fight him for some reason. That was really through about the first two and a half to maybe three seasons where that really was in effect. Okay. I'd say my personal favorite of the show, seasons three through five, I would Mm -hmm. say, were its high point. Okay. That was its rubber sole revolver Sergeant Pepper era. (laughs) It's all right. I think that was its high point. Season five, he sort of went to college, but sort of didn't. So you kind of lose track of what what is he doing with his time? We don't know because he's not really doing much. Chloe, did he, did he stop being kind of the f- main focus in this time period? Or see, the thing was is that Clark Kent, the character, was hardly ever the absolute main focus. Okay, I think part of their filler problem was that they introduced characters that weren't that like like Lana. Mm-hmm. that they thought we've got to devote an equal amount of time to everybody. So they introduced a character that had never existed before in Superman lore, Chloe Sullivan, which was a newspaper reporter, a friend of his, a little Bobby Blonde from uh, high school. And she would grow, go on to – actually, I think she's included in the comics now. Uh, yeah, I think what I was reading, yeah, they kind of wrote her in. But – it's almost like Clark was 70% of the sh- well, 65 70% of the show's focus and the rest of the time was well let's have another silly scene of Lex and his dad Lionel talking in prose and crazy quotes from old war authors and Sun Tzu <laughs> while walking around this big mansion's hall with a fireplace drinking vodka and looking evil and then walking out again and they did that 
ungodly amount of times. <laughs> There's, well, you, you had, and I mean, you had at one point, didn't you have uh, his dad trying to bump off Chloe, and you had Lana and Lex as an item and all of that, right? You got into kind of, what would we call that straight-up melodrama, or? Well, okay, let's just do this chronologically. So, yeah, right. season one is Clark as a freshman. He loves Lana. Lana has a boyfriend who is the quarterback. Right. And Clark is friends with Pete Ross, who is from the comics, and then Chloe Sullivan. But you don't really ever see these kids in class. You don't ever see them. (laughs) It's so rare that they're actually in a classroom doing anything. Send me to that school. And he's befriends Lex Luthor, who is running like a Lex or Luthor Corp plant that's in Smallville doing something or another and has a mansion in Smallville. And they really become, important stuff, business, business. <laughs> and they become friends. But it really is all about this meteor shower that came along with Clark. And so all this kryptonite is all over the place. They're meteor rocks. And so they cause different reactions for different people. And that's where the freaks of the week come in, and he was fighting. And there's the whole on again, off again, I like Lana, she doesn't recognize me, that kind of shit. Then you get into season two, and it starts the whole, um, there's no more quarterback. So now it's Lana and Clark, and will they, won't they, I don't know. And there's drama on the farm, and we hate the Luthers. And... Then there starts to be some more Kryptonian stuff as they find that Clark's ship that brought him here as a baby activates uh, the voice of Jor-El, which in the show was actually Terrence Stamp, who you have to kneel before on many occasions. <laughs> so, and they that's a positive I'll give them on a tangent, on a side note. A positive of the show is that they realize there was a Superman lore and they included everyone that they possibly could who had ever had any involvement with Superman throughout the 10-season run of the show. Uh, and I think I read that they even had Christopher Reeve in uh, several episodes? Yeah, he played a guy that was like a professor that read – who was able to like uh, decode messages from Krypton that Jor-El had sent. And he was kind of the the guy who – told Clark who he really was, where he really came from. Oh, nice. Okay. And, and it was kind of cool. I mean, he was yeah. he was Dr. Swan. Um, but, I mean, everybody who was involved with Superman at some form got into the show. Well, <laughs> and Annette, was, o- Annette O'Toole was his mom, right? Exa- yeah, she was the, she was Martha Kent. Uh, the Duke, Dukes of Hazard was his dad. Don uh, Schneider. Which they even did in season five. They brought in Tom Wopat for an episode, too. <laughs> oh, oh dear! <laughs> yeah, and any orange cars spotted? Yes, there was yes. actually. Yeah, but, of course. <laughs> um, I just praised the show. I'm getting so off tangent, but I just praised the show for one thing. But I could criticize it for another. The creators of Smallville felt way too much responsibility for trying to imitate what was going on at that existing moment in pop culture. Mm. So they had a. Uh, there was an episode where one of the meteor rocks caused temporary symptoms to where the people f- seemed like vampires. <laughs> so Lana became a vampire for an episode. Oh, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> um, there was a, like a, I, I like the J horror, like the Japanese ghost 
quick cut, quick camera horror movies of the mm-hmm. mid 2000s. There was an episode there where suddenly Clark saw ghosts and there was something like that. There was an episode where some crazy villain came in and took over and put people in a saw like contraption. So it was like the movie Saw. But there was an episode where Tom Wopat came in, was an old friend of Jonathan Kent's, and he tore into town in in an old beat-up Dodge Charger whose doors were welded shut. So they they just did that kind of silly shit as references that they knew they were making. Stop winking! (laughs) (laughs) But I think if I could name them, the people who – they shoehorned in everybody they could who dealt with Superman. Even Mark McClure, Jimmy Olsen from the oh, Superman wow. movies, they threw him in as some random mechanic in like – it was like season eight somewhere or something like that for a one-off episode that really didn't mean anything, I don't think. I don't <laughs> sure it meant something to him. It's like oh. – I don't remember what the hell happened. And Margot Kidder showed up after Christopher Reeve died to kind of – Mm-hmm. take his place to finish off that storyline as his assistant or something. Um, Dean Kane was in an episode as some crazy doctor obsessed with something or another, and it didn't have anything to do with his history as Clark Kent, except <laughs> that his name was Curtis Knox or something. So he had a briefcase that said CK on it. That was it. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! I think the- stretching, stretching. All right. Well, we'll 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 draw you back to earth here. You okay. said that seasons three through five were your favorite. Uh, what happened in them, and what made them they, arguably more engaging than the others? Well, seasons three through five, they started to eliminate the freak of the week thing. They started to deal more with the the interpersonal relationships of the characters, more of Clark's wanting to figure out who he was, more discovery of his powers. I mean, the best episodes of the show were the discovery of his powers, that they would come one after the other. Uh, I mean, the first one he discovered was heat vision. Uh, He discovered his x-ray powers in one. Um, No cellophane S's? Well, he discovered that in season seven. (laughs) Oh, God. No, they did not do that. No, they did not. (laughs) (laughs) They did not. But they had a uh, season four, I would say, is probably along with season five, the best, just because in season four, they brought in the Lois Lane character and it was played by Erica Durance. And it was just a very good personification of that character. It got a little annoying at some times, but they played out uh, a season long arc in that season. It was really silly. It was dealing with these like ancient Kryptonian stones that were meant for somebody. Or uh, it was really kind of silly, but it, it it played out over the full season. That's where Christopher Reeve had his bit. So um, Clark learned a lot about who he was, and then graduating high school, and they dealt with all that kind of stuff. Where are you going to college? So it was a lot of different episodes that dealt with sort of, if you can, in Smallville, real world things in the the guise of Smallville. And it led to the high school graduation, a second meteor shower coming in or something and destroying Smallville. And they had to rebuild in season five. But at the end of season four, Chloe finds out that he's his powers and she becomes kind of an ally through the rest of the show. Uh, and then season five dealt with Clark actually being with Lana and then not being with Lana. And then finally them breaking up for good. 
the coming of General Zod was teased and the Phantom Zone was teased. Season 5 was really the most Superman-esque of the seasons in which it was dealing with a lot of Kryptonian heritage and otherworldly stuff and Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer showed up as Brainiac. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Uh, I think they only had him on there because the season five had the vampire episode and they only had him on there just so he could be in the teaser for next week's episode where he comes to Clark and says, there's no such thing as vampires, but I'm cheap. Yeah. And then it just goes on and general Zod shows up and then the phantom zone shows up in season six where a bunch of ghouls escape and take over people's bodies and possess them throughout season six. But also in Season 6, you start getting a more Justice League feel where suddenly Green Arrow shows up and The Flash shows up and Aquaman shows up and Cyborg shows up. So you have an expanding universe that people were giddy for. But the problem is is that they were expanding with characters that people didn't know who the fuck they were. <laughs> and Come on, everybody knows who Aquaman is. Well, well okay, sure. <laughs> They were B-level because Warner Brothers, probably at the head, was saying, no, 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 we're having a movie verse of Batman and we want to do other things. So We've got that Green Lantern movie ready to unleash on the world. <laughs> exactly. So they didn't want to have any of their stuff tainted by the small screen, even though they were making a Superman movie at the same time that they were making this. I was going to say, I don't quite get that. I mean, that just seems like a horrible missed opportunity. It's like you've already got an audience who's primed for this kind of thing. You want to get people into the theater to watch these movies. Why not just tease it a little bit? I mean, even if it's a one-off episode. Yeah, just go ahead and put Tom Walling in a suit and you can end the show. <laughs> because at that point it, you get to end of season six and then they start bringing in well there's jimmy olsen and he was an intern who interned with chloe at the daily planet because chloe got an internship at the daily planet and that gave the reason for uh clark to be able to stop by there every once in a while and because he obviously had nothing else to do <laughs> and hey you're some kind of superman but uh <laughs> um Oh, and and they set it up that Chloe Sullivan was Lois Lane's cousin, so that's who the, that's how you hit a connection there. And then Lois was a military brat who, all of a sudden, decided out of the blue, I guess I'll be a reporter now. And so Chloe got her a job at the Daily Planet, to which she worked at for several years. <laughs> it's not Clarissa solves everything; it's Chloe <laughs> solves everything. <laughs> uh, let's see, it's season six. Um, yeah, Doomsday show up as just some guy that was sent from Krypton who morphs in and out of being a normal guy to being Doomsday. And which, by the way, I think it was the end of season six or the end of season seven when they got rid of Doomsday. But people talk about the end of the first season of Heroes as all this build up and then this god awful, ridiculously stupid, blunt ending. The Doomsday. Let me put air quotes for those who can't see battle at the end. <laughs> it's a season-long buildup with Doomsday. Clark figures out he's Doomsday. And literally, the fight with Doomsday is, I don't know, it's a TV budget, but it, it consists of Clark Kent running at Doomsday in his super fast, but we see it in super slow motion, Clark speed, 
basically runs into Doomsday like a linebacker tackling a running back, leaps hard enough to carry him off the, you know, way up into the sky, and slams him down into the ground, and we cut to a scene of him describing what he just did to Doomsday with Chloe, and that's the end of the season. He says, oh, I buried him deep in the earth underneath this building. And that was it. That was the doomsday fight with Clark. It was about 15 seconds of screen time. <laughs> Wait, you could have solved this in 15 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> he went, tackled him, launched him into the air, and slammed him down into the ground. And then told Chloe, yeah, I buried him in the ground, so we're, we're done now. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Captain Helper. I have the power of convenience. <laughs> <laughs> because we dragged this on too long and the season's over, so we'll see you next year. Then it starts getting blurry. Super Supergirl showed up. She had been trapped in a dam. She was sent to Earth the same time that Clark was. And wait, wait, wait. Trapped in a dam? There was a scene where they were in this underground dam or something like that, and her spaceship had gotten lodged into a dam so it would never opened up for her to get out of her little stasis of cryo freeze or whatever she was in when she took the trip oh okay i'm like just picturing this person like stuck physically <laughs> inside a dam it's like trying to grow no, up she She's was like well crap these magazines just are not holding up over the decades now she was already old and she was just put into like this cryo freeze and sent off from Krypton to Earth, and when she landed the same time as Clark, her ship just got lodged into this dam somewhere that when they had a big fight at the end of season seven or six or whenever it was that broke open the dam, it broke open her ship, and then she showed up in front of Lex, and more confusion for Lex that didn't need to be there because he's supposed to be super smart, but my God. He would have figured out that these were aliens associated with these meteor rocks about 10 years ago <laughs> instead of waiting all this time to go, huh, you're what? Could this be why the actor wanted off? I think so because it was getting a little ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Anytime that you undermine your characters or your actors, I mean, that's got to be just all the way around frustrating for viewers and for the people doing the show just because it's like, uh <laughs> He's not Do this something. dumb. Yeah. yeah, nobody's this dumb. <laughs> so, uh, oh, and Jonathan Kent died midway through season five, which... Okay, spoiler yeah, I meant to ask you that. <laughs> what? Spoiler, Jonathan Kent dies. Oh, spoiler alert, he turns into Superman. So, yeah, he died midway through season five. Season six was... Doomsday, I think. Season yep. 7 was Bizarro showed up very briefly because uh. <laughs> well, it wasn't really Bizarro. It Sorry, was... I'm just going to <laughs> I'm just going to the cartoon Super version Friends. of Bizarro. Uh. Yeah, Super Friends. Where he's, like... he's, he's the Phil Hartman Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the, the idea was is that Clark was in the Phantom Zone. When he got out of the Phantom Zone, he left open a rip in the Phantom Zone that let these phantoms escape. Oh, okay. who, and the whole story was that the phantoms then inhabited people's bodies. And this one phantom managed to get a hold of Clark's body. And instead of just taking over that one body, it magically split away from Clark so that there were two of them, Superman 3 style, 
And so, (laughs) and, and this phantom basically became bizarro for two or three episodes and then he was gone. Honestly, I do have to ask you one question though, because it's something that as you've been talking has rolled into my mind. There's been a lot of criticism, justified criticism that in the man of steel movie that we got this summer, that there's all this unintended collateral damage, you know, to people and everything like that. Between the freaks of the week and people being inhabited by phantoms, was he just going around offing people left and right in the show? Or no, he really wasn't. He, no, they, okay. they they held true to the Superman okay. thing okay. of not no killing, nothing like that. He can't okay. kill anybody. I just wondered about that. Yeah, they they held to that a lot. So there was some collateral damage, but it wasn't. Wasn't nearly what we got in the movie, okay. No, not really, at all. Um, it's, it's tough, because seasons 7 through 9 are just a bore of... You don't have to go through all of it. Crap, almost. It was The Green Arrow character became a, 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 regular, a series regular. And you, I think the other day when we were talking about this, said that that was originally pitched to be again Bruce Wayne? Yeah, in in as much as the producers said, we know we're never ever going to get Bruce Wayne, but we want to pitch anyways to say we want to put Bruce Wayne so that when they say no, we got to come up with something different. So the Oliver Queen Green Arrow character is absolutely 100% definitively spun to be a Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne stand-in. Gotcha. He suddenly is Oliver Queen of Queen Industries, a rich guy, rich Billionaire playboy, <laughs> billionaire playboy who goes out vigilanteing at night, except in a green hood with a bow and arrow for some reason. It's it's really kind of silly. Um, he, he had he, a, he and Chloe became an item, I think, right at the very end. He was at the very end. Okay. He was originally an item with Lois, and then that broke off, and. The best parts of seasons 8, 9, and 10 were that Clark and Lois, they originally began as this kind of antagonistic brother-sister-like relationship. But finally, by about end of season 7 and then on, it started to turn into the more romantic relationship that we're aware of. And instead of dragging this on forever, which I think it already has... (laughs) They just really kept dragging on and dragging on and dragging on. Clark got a job at Daily Planet, and it didn't really mean much. And then uh, Jimmy Olsen, before he died, which there's a spoiler, he took a, he took a picture of Clark in action wearing his red coat and blue shirt, which he always wore, which is another stupid thing because – this kid has to own more than blue t-shirts and red coats. <laughs> He's Bart jeans. Simpson. Who knew? <laughs> he never changes his clothes. <laughs> Ever. Never. But he took a picture, so he became the red-blue blur. So for the last three seasons or so, everyone just called him the blur, not Superman, the blur. And But the relationship between he and Lois as it grew over the last three seasons was the best part of the show. I think overall, the whole 10-season run, that was the best thing that came out of it. Because, again, spoiler alert, Mm -hmm. it was the first time in any of these media where Lois became aware of Clark's ability and who he was. 
let him tell her on his, her, his own terms who he was and became a personal confidant and helper. And it wasn't an extended, overdone foolishness that we had before of Clark Kent. He wears glasses. Uh-oh, she won't know who he is. And now we get to play that crazy interplay of he's Superman, but he's Clark. Oh, oh wait, know. wait, wait. They treated her like an intelligent human being. Uh, you could say that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey. <laughs> she was, uh, you know, it was kind of foolish and they did it. But, yeah, but when she found out, that was the best part. And so when you get to the very end and season 10 dealt with Doomsday showing up and Doomsday was the, you know. The oh, he got, got out of the ground, huh? The big bad. Well, that's Darkseid. Oh, Darkseid, my bad. Doomsday is the big bad of the DC Comics universe. He's a interplanetary god or something like that whose planet is called Apocalypse and he does nothing but inhabit the souls of living creatures on planets and his he feeds off of their positivity or something like that and leaves them only negative and that I don't know that's I don't know a whole lot about him I just know that's kind of his his that's nourishment his, is that's his bag baby his nourishment is people's hopes and such and whatnot and so season 10 becomes all about this battle against the encroaching darkness while also Lois finding out and still fighting every once in a while some big bads and Chloe and Green Arrow do end up together and then you get to the finale which you saw which was Mm -hmm. a Clark and Lois attempted wedding and then fighting off dark side and then finally at the very end going to the fortress of solitude and getting handed by ghost jonathan kent a folded up superman returns brandon ralph superman suit <laughs> to which <laughs> to which then the scores and masses of all crowds who had been watching the show for 10 years had a sudden groan of oh what the as Clark flies out, and suddenly he's hidden behind Crystal and digitally, cartoonally puts on a Superman suit. And then when they cut to Tom Welling, it's framed from forehead to chin with a little blue something underneath, just in case, and a digital cape behind him. And he flew away. And you never got to see Tom Welling in a full Superman suit, which for a show like this, it probably cost about $100,000 to make one suit. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure they didn't for five minutes want to say, yeah, we don't need to do that. Could cut look kind of silly. So I think. Keep him in that jacket. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. So you don't really get to see him full on in Superman gear. And then the show ends flash forwarding seven years later. He, and it's the daily planet. We know, um, Michael McKeon, who played Perry White in several episodes and seasons previously uh, of Clue fame, he, uh, or Spinal Tap, if more human yeah, beings. Clue, listen. SNL. He, he, uh, he's actually married to Annette O'Toole, which is surprised, which is why I was surprised in the finale he didn't physically show up. He just did the voice of Perry White behind an office door where Jimmy and Lois were talking. And Jimmy's there, which we'll go. We'll do a full fucking spoiler alert on this thing. <laughs> is that they threw in the character of Jimmy Olsen? It was played by Aaron Ashmore, whose twin brother is in the X Men movies. 
And he, who is he in the X Men movies? He's uh, uh, Iceman, whatever. Oh, all right, yep. But he married Chloe and then died from injuries resulting from Dark Side. And at the funeral, out of the blue, Chloe's there and goes up to Jimmy's younger brother and says, "You got some big shoes to fill." And this kid's like nine years old. And so we're like, well, we know what you're going to be doing. So it's like, wait, what? That out of the blue for no reason. So they shows up, and later on in the finale, he Aaron Ashmore comes back to play his Jimmy Olsen again or something. And on the TV monitor, it says Lex Luthor has won the presidential election, which is what happened in the comic books. And Clark then has to go off and save the world, and he goes out on the terrace of the roof of the Daily Planet building and rips open his shirt to reveal a Superman S while the John Williams music is soaring and that's it. And that's how Smallville ended after 10 years. And it was a lot of tie-in to the Superman existence of the Donner universe, the the Superman Christopher Reeve. I mean, that's all they were tying into. They every once in a while, throughout the ten years, you'd have a little bit of a John Williams cue would would trickle in, like the Christopher Reeve scenes. All of a sudden, you'd hear that sounds like the Fortress of Solitude music from the '78 Superman. It is, and <laughs> and when Margot Kidder shows up, there's the sound of police wagons showing up to make sure she's taking her meds. I mean, there's also... Whoa, sound- whoa, oh, whoa. Oh, oh, too soon? Whoa. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> she's just sharing her words. So, <laughs> it was a lot of tying in. I mean, the, the Fortress of Solitude was nothing but just a huge ripoff of the Donner universe, Crystal Fortress <laughs> of Solitude. He's, he's walking around with uh, the rear projection going behind him for- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wait a minute. How'd Gene Hackman get back there? He's not supposed to be in this scene. You're running the wrong part. That's basically the only Superman original actor who didn't show up in there was Gene Hackman. Hell, they even had Helen Slater show up and she played Laura, Clark's mother, birth mother, Supergirl herself. I was going to say, do you have John Cryer in there? <laughs> <laughs> he was too big during that point. He was too busy. Yeah. He was. I'm trying to think of all the people who guest starred. The best idea outside of the Christopher Reeve guest star that wasn't executed very well is that they had Terry Hatcher play Lois's mother who had died when Lois was a kid. And Mm. so she came in and recorded this like VHS thing or something that – it was a tape that Lois's mom had made for her the day before she died and Lois watched it before she realized she was going to marry Clark or whatever. And so Terry Hatcher came back, put the little bob haircut that she had from Lois and Clark wig on and did this whole like talking to the camera, talking to Lois when she's older kind of thing. But it wasn't executed very well, but it was a good idea. I was going to say, well, to to its credit, it sounds like this show at least did try where it could to service the fans. Whether it was successful in that or not is another matter, but it did apparently try. Yeah, and I think the reason I'm dragging this out is just an explanation of what happened with my little interspersal ideas. It's because I don't think there is one general hindsight I could give this as to here's exactly what you could have done. 
Because my answer to that would be they needed a limitation on themselves. I was going to say, well, that seems to be the biggest thing. It didn't need to be 10 years long. No, it needed to be about five years long and cut the episodes per season in half. And you could have had a hell of a show that would have had a, a finale and just a little bit more money to actually make a Superman finale. And I think it would have worked well. And actually maybe even have him in the suit longer for the ending. Like have a whole final episode where he's in the suit and doing his thing? Yeah, basically get him into his suit in the penultimate episode. And then the last episode is him dealing with the repercussions of this new existence. I know what you see at the end of episode three, Darth Vader. Oh, cool. Is he in the suit? Yeah. Does he do anything? No, he, he just, just kind of looks at it. Death Star. Star. He just kind of looks up at it. <laughs> looks kind of sad. <laughs> Smallville was an interesting experience because it's the only show I can think of that is of its ilk, where it's completely based on another property and it's in a different universe of that property while still tying in with that property. It's the only one I can think of. Well, it basically carried the banner. Yeah. I mean, I can think of stuff now, like NBC's got Hannibal, the show Hannibal on, and they're basically doing what Smallville did. It's a prequel to Hannibal Lecter's stuff we saw in the movies. But I don't. I've never watched it. I don't know how successful it is. But it's it's an interesting take, an interesting idea. It's one I think they could do with a lot more comic book characters if they do it more successfully. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to keep those properties going without having to spend two hundred million dollars on a movie every three years. You just keep a TV show going. I'll I'll ask you some hypotheticals. All right. So say they're gearing up they're they want to do the show today we we keep in place the 2006 movie we keep in place the man of steel movie that we got this year and everything like that it might end up on network television might end up in cable do you think that this show out of that time period um free of those constraints and everything like that do you think it would take a different path I think they would not be so hamstrung with the whole freak of the week thing. I feel like they wouldn't be as hamstrung with the the drawing out the different relationships. I think you could have characters on the show interacting in a much different way than they did. Uh, like Lex and his father would be a much more impactful thing if they didn't have to drag out five, six years worth of I hate you, Dad, but I want to love you, Dad. I hate you, Lex, <laughs> but I want you to be my son. But I want you to. But I'm good. I'm bad. No, I'm not. I don't know. Well, let's find out next year. <laughs> whoa, 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 which one is it? <laughs> and just doing that over and over and over. So you could do the same things, just truncated and not with as much chafe and filler. Just deal with what you what the story is. You could have the Lex and Lionel story carry out for a good year where they start off as adversaries and then they end up working together and then Lex is drawn down into the world and Lionel dies or something. Are there any of the B-level people who you think that the show would have been stronger if they had lost? 
obviously we got a lot of filler in there, but is there anybody, any of the like regular recurring people who it's like, eh, we don't really need you that long. You know? I mean, you, you kind of talked about how the green arrows storyline didn't really go anywhere. I mean, yeah. See, when you start getting into the later seasons, you get stuff like that. And his, that character really does seem like the producer saying, shrugging their shoulders and saying, okay, we got two things we're dealing with here. We're not going off the air anytime soon, and we can't get Batman on this show. So we got to figure out something. That's what that choice seems like to me, is they thought, oh, crap. There's no <laughs> way CW is ever going to let us end. I mean, it's a Groundhog Day. There's no way this show is ever going to end unless we end it. We have to end it ourselves. I know what we'll do. Let's bring on Green Arrow. Nobody hey. likes him. Let's bring on Green Arrow and Aquaman in one episode. Nobody likes them. Damn it. They liked them. Shit. We got to do more episodes? So as soon as you get past season five, I don't think you can use the same thought. I think the first five seasons, as they stand right now, uh, lop off half the episodes per year, and I think you've got a great show of just Clark Kent growing up through high school and then going off to college. Because by the time you get to season six or seven, people online were saying, you might as well just stop calling this show Smallville and just call it Metropolis. Because that's where he is most of the time. That that actually got me thinking when you were kind of talking about some of that and we were talking about the missed opportunities with this. You've got DC basically, let's face it, playing catch-up with Marvel. Now, they don't have to take the same track that Marvel took, obviously. They can do what they want with their properties. Um, and it sounds like from what they are planning to do with the Man of Steel sequel that you know they very much are uh, with going and throwing Batman and Superman together in the same film very quickly i i'm kind of wondering maybe they're missing an opportunity here now to introduce or play with some of these characters who they have sitting around in a little bit cheaper uh format if you did some kind of television show where you could have some of these characters interacting familiarize an audience build an audience uh with them and you know, really just take advantage of the medium for all it's worth. It it kind of seems like, you know, you got some, you definitely had some positives with Smallville, but you seem like you have a lot of missed opportunities. So it sounds like they're already starting to do that. And I hope that they're going down the path, that path, because that would be an excellent idea to keep up with Marvel and differently. Mm -hmm. Mar Marvel's going to put out one, maybe two big movies a year. They're going to put a whole lot of money into those, and that's their cinematic universe. DC is still trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. So while they're trying to figure it out, they have Superman. It was mildly successful this summer. So mm -hmm. the, their instant reaction is, you know who is successful? Batman. Let's put <laughs> Batman in there. So now the next one's Superman, Batman. But they have the Green Arrow television show, which some people have said is good, called Arrow. And they made the announcement this summer that midway through this season – they're going to introduce The Flash on the show Arrow, to which he's going to spin off into his own show, The Flash. Oh, all right. So if they could figure out a way to have enough foresight in casting to not concern themselves with this issue, 
the issue being, can you transition from the television show to the big screen and then back again? Because a good idea, at least in forethought, would be cast the actor who's in, who's going to be the Flash so well that when you ultimately have a Justice League movie, the guy who's playing the Flash on the TV show can step in and play that part in the Justice League movie while your main people are Henry Cavill and whoever Batman is and Wonder Woman can show up. And then he can go back onto his television show and tell his side story. It's like having Iron Man and Thor and Captain America TV shows and then they show up in the Avengers movie instead of the, their separate movies. Well, I wonder if you might be able to cut through uh, some of the legal problems that some of the Marvel Universe characters get into because you've got, what, Spider-Man's owned by Fox? Or Sony, yeah. I mean, their problem uh, is, is Sony. Okay, all their characters are at different studios, whereas right. Warner Brothers is DC. They right. own DC. They can do it with them all. Yeah, so, I mean, take advantage of that. <laughs> That's what people have been saying for years. <laughs> Take advantage of that. They're all under one umbrella. Go they, for it. They were even working on a new updated show called Amazon for the Wonder Woman show. And they, they I think they shelved it. But even that would work perfectly. You don't want to spend $150 million on a gamble on a, a female superhero sh- movie, which have always failed. And yet it's Wonder Woman. You don't know what it's going to do. Fine. Don't gamble on that gamble on a season of a show called Amazon with the caveat being that character, that actress is going to show up in Man of Steel 3 as Wonder Woman. And you can just have your entire world connected via television and movies because as Wayne Gretzkyism is see, go where the puck is going, not where it was. <laughs> People are watching Movies and television shows on equal level on Netflix right now more than they are going to the theater or tuning in Thursday night at 8. So make it all one. Even create your own, like, DC online video marketplace. We're not going to sell to HBO or Netflix. And have everything there and in, a like, a chronological order and just build that up so that by the year, like, 2019... Somebody could sit down, go online, and watch Man of Steel, Arrow, The Flash TV Show, Amazon, then come back and watch Man of Steel 2 with Batman, and it's all in this world of continuity. And that would be awesome. And I'm going to actually give Warner Brothers a nod. They've had some really, really good animated movies involving these DC characters. I mean, they've just had some very solid stories and I think done some interesting things with the characters and have them interact in interesting ways. And I think kind of in some ways, some of some more than others, but some of the DC characters lend themselves more to that format than a live-action format. It doesn't all have to be live-action. No, it really doesn't. But if they're insistent on doing live-action, I think mixing together the television and the movie world would be fantastic. And that would sure as hell make people watch the CW that don't watch the CW. <laughs> if you put up... Well, we got the show that's successful and it's kind of got a built-in audience, but we don't want to go hog wild and, uh, you know, do too much with this. And do... I mean, Marvel does the post-credits tease. Do a pre-credits tease. 
where you basically turn your movies into the television universe, previously on Man of Steel, and then <laughs> show what happened in Arrow and The Flash and Amazon that would lead up to that and then move into the movie. That would be such a fantastic way to do it. I think they're too scared because there's still that stigma against TV versus movies. Well, no. I mean, you've you've got more and more of these series showing up on the internet. You you see stuff getting released through Netflix and things of that nature. So I think slowly the medium might be lending itself more to that type of model. Uh, you know, you might have to you might have to Bill Murray it. You might have to take baby steps <laughs> to get there, but you could definitely start laying the groundwork. Baby steps to five o'clock. <laughs> Baby steps to five o'clock. Yeah, that that I I would vote for that. If if I could hindsight Smallville, I would hindsight it and say make it shorter. And instead of doing Superman Returns, tell Christopher Nolan, great, you can make what you want, but you're not ruling us. We're ruling you. So your Batman exists in a shared universe, and we're gonna have Tom Welling put on a suit in two thousand seven where he's going to be Superman, plan it out long ahead, get out in front of Marvel. So my hindsight for Warner Brothers is it's 2003, you're working on pre-production of Batman Begins, and you have a television show with a character named Clark Kent, then you're going to say, all right, in 2007, Tom Welling is Superman, Michael Rosenbaum is Lex Luthor, and Christian Bale is going to show up because we need to keep the hype up after Batman Begins for 2008's We Hope It's Gonna Hit. We don't know who's this Heath Ledger guy, Dark Knight. So <laughs> we got to keep the the word out there. So we're going to have a Superman movie with Tom Welling. And that's that would be my hindsight. Is get your DC Universe started that way. Yeah, there's no reason why you can't bounce some of this stuff between the big screen and the small screen. And I think actors do enough now between the big screen and the small screen that there's a way to figure out how to get them to cross over and do one or the other. That there's a way to have Amy Adams show up in an episode of something as Lois Lane and doesn't take too much of her time. I mean, for God's sakes, Amy Adams was in an episode of Smallville (laughs) very early on, but she was in an episode of Smallville amongst others. The circle is complete. It is. So they even <laughs> they even proactively had people involved in the other Superman universe <laughs> in that show. We can look ten years down the road and know. She's going to be in it, so let's put her in small. Let's just put her in small. <laughs> I'm sure Henry Cavill showed up somewhere. I don't think so. Walking in the background getting a coffee. Is that a camera over there? <laughs> And that, I know that'll lead into our Man of Steel episode, which we'll do next. But I, I find it interesting that uh, a very tiny connection that not many people re- realized is in Man of Steel, the character of Dr. Emil Hamilton is in there. He's played by Toby Ziegler from West Wing. I don't know the guy's real name, but um, he was in he was in Man of Steel. And in two scenes in Man of Steel, when they're looking at this spaceship in the Antarctic, there's a guy running the computer system for the Army who played Dr. Emil Hamilton in Smallville. So it was kind of weird to have Dr. Hamilton tell Dr. Hamilton what to do. And it was <laughs> kind of a weird crossover. But that's as close as we get as a crossover is him and Andy, Amy Adams. 
So there you go. There's my hindsight of Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for guiding me and the audience through what happened in the show. Here's what uh, happened. I, Here's he, what happened. He got x-ray vision. He tried to screw Lana, but they couldn't because <laughs> he would have blown her through the back wall of the, the theater. And so Lana married Lex. Lana died, but she didn't die. Lex died, but he didn't die. <laughs> Chloe died, but she came back to life. <laughs> Jonathan died, but he showed up as a ghost at the end to hand a Superman uniform off. <laughs> Jor-El died, but he was there talking the whole time. <laughs> no one died in this show. Everyone is bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> There's my summation of Smallville. No one dies. <laughs> Ever. It's the anti-Walking Dead formula. <laughs> it is. Wino <laughs> Luther died, but then he came back as a guy from another dimension. <laughs> we can find a way to put you back on this show. I don't care who you are. Death You're is not an obstacle, people. You are coming back. <laughs> so, that's Smallville in a long form well, I don't know. You covered 10 years of television in an hour. I'd say that's pretty darn good. In a very sporadic, random way. Well. All right. Are we done? We're done. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Sorry, Miss Lane. Let me just... Uh... Just, just, uh, Can't o'clock. No one's paying any attention. Yes, Miss Lane. So hot. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. You wanted me to see how things would be with Lois and flying. I wanted you to see that your darkness lies not only in dwelling upon the past, but in fearing the future. I've always hoped my life would be like this. With Lois. And with all of it. Because lately I've stopped believing that it could actually happen. Well, that's up to you, isn't it? You don't need to worry about the future, Kal-El. You can see that it's just fine. As long as you shed the weight of the past. Okay, but... Ah!